And uh, as the uh, uh, anthem today was about uh, on a solid rock, I thought I'd talk about, uh, let, let us look at the church and talk about uh, the church and its beginning and, and our solid foundation that we have. I think it's absolutely amazing to look at some companies or some businesses or things that we are so accustomed to today that started out rather small and have grown to have a tremendous impact upon our culture. Let me mention a few of them. Facebook. How many of you on Facebook? Most everybody. Most everybody. I'm not. I, I do Twitter, but I'm not on Facebook. Facebook started in a dorm room at, uh, of, a, of a Harvard University student named Mark Zuckerberg, uh, who built the program as a hobby so Harvard students could connect. Now, I'm a Jeopardy fan. I watch Jeopardy every night if I have the opportunity to. Any of you do that? Watch Jeopardy? You watch Friday night? That was the final Jeopardy question and answer on Jeopardy Friday night about uh, uh, websites and uh, who's, where they started in Harvard and all that. I mean, uh, today there are 757 million daily users of Facebook. And in 60 seconds, every 60 seconds, this is what happens on Facebook. 510 comments are posted, 293,000 statuses are updated, and 136,000 photos are uploaded every 60 seconds. Isn't that amazing? Think about Google. We always want to find something, we always say what? Go Google it. Google was launched in a garage by a couple of West Coast geeks who were trying to figure out a way to organize a massive amount of information on the internet. And today it processes over 40,000 search inquiries every second and 3.5 billion searches per day. Absolutely phenomenal. And how do we ever find anything and want to know something and get the answer to it without Google? Chick-fil-A. How many of you are going through withdrawals because our two notch row Chick-fil-A is closed for remodeling? I don't know where everybody's going for lunch, but from about 11.30 to 1.30, it's packed and jammed and drive through all the way around. Chick-fil-A started rather modestly with Truett Cathy operating a humble grill near a Ford Motor Factory in Atlanta. Uh, and today does more than $4.6 billion in sales a year in 1,700 locations in 39 states and D.C. And that's with being closed on Sundays. It can work, folks. Dell Computers was launched in the University of Texas dorm room of Michael Dell. He dropped out of school to meet the demands for his new computer, and today Dell Company Computers employ about 108,000 people worldwide. And then how about Apple? Apple was formed by Steve Jobs and another, another Steve who began building computers in Jobs' parents' garage, and in 2013, Apple generated $170 billion, $870 million in sales revenue. Fantastic, isn't it? Amazing stories of success. How these things that we rely upon so much today began in a dorm room or somebody's garage. And look how important they are and vital they are. Well, as great as those success stories are, there is no more successful story than, than the church. This thing that we are a part of, this organization of Christ, uh, this body of believers known as the church. You see, Jesus cast that vision with 12 ordinary followers, and one of them would fall by the wayside. And the vision for the church has grown to where now perhaps 2 billion or more people around the world claim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at our scripture today in just a moment, 
we'll see that Jesus is making a very important announcement. And it is the first time ever that we find in the New Testament the use of the word church. It's found hundreds of times, but this is the first time that Jesus ever used that. And so I want you to hear what Jesus says. Very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, but we're going to look at it today to be reminded of our, our solid foundation on Jesus Christ the rock and what that means for us. When we enter into the story, we find that Jesus has come in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's interesting where we find Jesus and his disciples at this moment. Uh, He's taken them at this critical time in his ministry to talk about uh, the launching of this organization known as the church. And he takes them to Caesarea Philippi, about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. And Caesarea Philippi was probably as far removed theologically, morally, and socially from the strict Jewish culture that the disciples had grown up in to where probably every disciple felt like a fish out of water. Because Caesarea Philippi was like a modern day resort. It had everything that you might want. It had beauty, it had relaxation, and it offered you hedonistic pleasure. Now, for Jesus to take his disciples there to Caesarea Philippi would be something like, um, Tony, if we plan, where's going? Tony, if we planned a deacon's retreat in Las Vegas, that, that's kind of what it would be like. Uh, uh, well, we might, we might need to do that because maybe we'd get more deacons showing up uh, for, uh, for uh, deacons meetings if we met there. It could have been known as a forbidden city. And uh, we'll see a picture of it here. Hopefully we can see that there. That's what it looks like. Got the, there's the hillside and you see uh, some arch openings there and there. Uh, the reason for that is because it was a place of pagan worship and, and political power. The original name of the city was Panius in honor of Pan, the pagan god of shepherds and flocks. Then later Herod the Great built a temple there for Caesar worship. When he died in 4 BC, his son Philip renamed the city Caesarea Philippi. Now, what is so significant about this passage? I think Jesus took the disciples there to show the contrast between the church and the hedonistic society of that day. And all the emperor worship and all the different things that would be there. And I think when he gathers his disciples and he, he speaks to them during this passage of scripture, I think he says three things that he said to them and that we need to understand today. Here's the first thing he said. Jesus is the solid rock foundation of his church. Now, when you read that passage of Scripture, it could be confusing. Because Jesus looked at Peter, evidently, and he said, you are Peter. And then the next words recorded say, and on this rock I will build my church. 
Now the word church is the word ecclesia, which literally means a special group of people called out for God's purpose. It's not a literal building, it's a group of people. It's a fellowship of people who've been born again. But Jesus said he would build his church upon the rock. Now what rock is he talking about? Well, we know that some denominations, particularly the Catholic, I guess, had the Roman Catholic view that, that he was talking about Peter. And Peter was the first pope. And he thought that it was upon Peter then that the church was built. And then there was all this apostolic accession that followed after that. And all the popes come through Peter. But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about and for several reasons. The word that he used when he talked to Peter is, he said, I tell you, you are Peter. And the word is Petros, which translates like a, a pebble or a small rock. It would be something that you could pick up and throw, just a small rock. And I don't think Jesus would build upon a small rock. He wasn't calling Peter the foundation. But actually he was making a contrast between Peter being a small rock and himself. See, Jesus was the one who, who called Peter and gave his name Rock. Or Petra, and if we were around then, they might have called him Rocky. But the word Petros means that small rock. And when Jesus said, But upon this rock I will build my church, he used the word Petra. And that describes the foundation of the church, and that describes a solid rock, uh, like sometimes we could see in that picture of, the, of Caesarea Philippi, where there's different strata of rock. And when Jesus spoke those words, he probably could have pointed at Peter first and said, You're Peter, Petros, a small rock, a pebble. And then maybe gesturing to himself, Jesus would have said, And upon this rock himself, I will build my church. I will build the church. Not on a small rock, but on the solid rock foundation of Jesus himself. Some people say, Well, why did Jesus talk in third person? He did that quite frequently. And an instance in Mark 19, Luke 19.10 when he talked about his mission statement. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He was talking about himself. Now, I think also that Paul confirmed that Jesus is the foundation of the church when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.11. And this is what he says. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is that solid rock foundation. Jesus didn't say, I'll build your church. He didn't say, we'll build your church. He said, I will build my church. Because the church belongs to Jesus. And it's on a rock-solid foundation. We've got a brief video. Let's take a look at it. Stability is one of the words you talked about, being able to endure about a rock. 
Many, many places in the Bible affirm for us that, that God is that rock and that Jesus also is that rock. But I think there's another reason besides the, the name play and the contrast that Jesus talks about, about Peter being a pebble and Christ being the solid rock, as to why Peter wasn't the one that the church was built upon. You see, it's simple. Peter was standing there and he understood the identity of the rock. And later Peter would write two letters, first and second Peter. And one of them, he clearly identifies Jesus as the cornerstone or the capstone or the foundation of the church. And this is what he said. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by God, by chosen by God, rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You see, there's again an affirmation that Jesus is the foundation of the church. And Peter knew he wasn't foundational material. How do we know that? Well, later on in this setting, Jesus started talking about his death. And, and Peter didn't like that. And he said, no, Lord, let, let's don't talk about that. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan. You are, you are a stumbling block. And by that time, I think Peter realized he was going to be a crumbling block. He would not be a rock-solid foundation. You remember the night that Jesus was arrested and he was in the presence of Caiaphas in his house and they asked him questions and, they, and then they recognized, a teenage servant girl recognized Peter as being one of them. And three times Peter was asked if he was a follower of Christ and three times Peter denied him. You see, Jesus could not build his church upon that rock because Peter crumbled that night. And Peter knew he wasn't material for the church to be built upon but look at what has happened to the church. Built on that rock-solid foundation, Jesus has built his church to where over 2,000 years people have been added, some day by day. 100,000 new believers every day, some people say, as they do research. You see, with a solid foundation, the church is promised that we will endure. We have a rock-solid foundation. We are built upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Now here's the second thing that Jesus says. And we need to listen carefully to this. Jesus says, a built upon the solid rock foundation, the church will prevail. Jesus promised his church victory. His church, not a church. And there's a big difference. His church is the gathering of all of his people who come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Spring Valley Baptist is a church in the worldwide kingdom of God. And it's a good thing that the church, the organization of people committed to God through Jesus Christ will endure. Because the average age for a church is only 75 years before it passes off the scene. In fact, in the early 90s, when I went on a, a brief tour of the Holy Land, I remember as we came out of that place known as Caesarea Philippi and we hit another road, I noticed two things. One, there was a, an implement of war that had been left there from the seven-day war that took place back in the, what, 67 or so? And the other thing was there was a church right outside of Caesarea Philippi. And guess what? That church was closed. It was out of business. The doors and windows were nailed shut. We have been warned that by the year 2030, which is only, what, 16 years away from now or something, 
as many as 22,000 Southern Baptist churches could die and pass off the scene. So what did Jesus mean when he said that his church will endure and prevail? Here's the good news from some other places. The map of global Christianity that our grandparents knew has changed so much that it's absolutely almost upside down. At the start of the 20th century, only 10% of the world's Christians lived in the continents of the South and the East. And 90% lived in North America, where we are, and Europe. But at the start of the 21st century, at least 70% of the world's Christians live in the non-Western world, more appropriately called the majority world. Let me give you an example of that. More Christians worship in Anglican churches in Nigeria every week than in all the Episcopal and Anglican churches of Britain, Europe, and North America combined. There are more Baptists in the Democratic Republic of the Congo than in Britain. More people in church every Sunday in Communist China than in all of Western Europe. There are 10 times more Assemblies of God members in Latin America than in the United States. And now that we mention the United States, what about America? Some statistics say that we are the fourth largest unchurched country in the world. What about our community in Northeast Colombia? Well, we know that it is a diverse, unchurched population as well. So what's wrong with the church in America today? There are only pockets of dynamic church growth. And if we're built on the solid rock of Christ, and he promises us that we will not fail, and that we will prevail, what's the problem? I think we've uh, misunderstood what we're supposed to be and do. In verse 18, Jesus says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's talking about his church. Now, the mistaken concept that so many people live under is that the church is pictured as a mighty fortress sitting up on a hill, ensconced there with strength around it, maybe even a moat, maybe even all kinds of animals in that moat to deter people from coming and attacking the church. Far too many people think the church is a sanctuary where special endangered species are protected. And that we're supposed to hold up inside this fort and stay safe and secure until Jesus comes again. In fact, there was a, an old hymn, I guess it used to be in the, in the hymnal, Rick, that, that, that says this. Hold the fort for I am coming, Jesus, signal still. Wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we will. Now you know what, that's a wimpy picture of the church, isn't it? That the church is just sitting there, scared to death, behind locked doors. And Jesus is pictured as looking down and saying, oh my, my poor church. I see you down there. Just hang on. Hang on. Do the best you can until I come back. That's not what Jesus pictured his church doing. It goes back to understanding the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. What are gates for? They aren't offensive weapons, they're defensive weapons. You don't fight with gates. Have you ever been in the armed services? They give you a gate to go out for, for drill or for war? No. 
Gates are defensive things. They keep attackers out. He wasn't talking about the gates on the church, but he said the gates where? The gates on Hades will not overcome. And the reminder to us is, we're the ones who are supposed to go out, and we're to battle down the gates of Hades. Because that's where the kingdom of Satan reigns, in the realm of death. Some translations say the gates of hell, but it's literally the word gates of Hades because it's the realm of death. And what Jesus is really saying is, is that that's what the enemy Satan wants to do is to destroy and kill you. And that leads to death. And Jesus is saying the church has the answer. The church has the answer to death because I have abolished death and freed everybody who lived their life in fear of death. And you see, we as the church are the only group of people who have that message of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And if we dare to go into battle and attack the gates of hell, we will be successful. The gates of Hades will not prevail. Then here's a third thing that Jesus said. The church of Jesus will prevail as we are on mission with him. What's the purpose of the church? And why did Jesus establish the church? The purpose of the church is so that we can focus on Christ. And there are three specific things that we do. We worship him, the one who is one with God the Father and the Spirit. Secondly, we give witness of Jesus Christ, the rock upon which the church is built. And thirdly, we do the works of Jesus Christ. Jesus said on one occasion, my father's busy all the time. He works all the time. And Jesus talked about the fact that I've come and I must do the works of the Lord and the works of God while there is still day. In other words, Jesus was talking about there's a short window of time that he had. And there were things that he had to do. But to us, the church, Jesus said on that occasion, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Our Catholic friends, once again, not picking on anybody, just pointing out their heritage, teach that the Pope possesses the keys to the kingdom. And whenever the Pope is, is attired in all of the holy vestments, he always has a set of keys fastened to his waist. And those keys are to symbolize the keys to the kingdom. Here's a picture we found of, a, of an old key from biblical times. Uh, that literally was a key that would unlock a lock and a door let you in. I'm gathering that the hole was there because some others that we saw pictures of, you would wear it on your finger. And you could then hold it on your finger, you wouldn't lose your key, and then you stick it in the hole and you open so Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to the church, not to Peter. And we, the church, are given the keys of the kingdom to be on mission with God. And what does that mean? That means that we, the church, have been given the awesome task and responsibility to make sure that as many people as possible enter into heaven. You see, a key is a sign of authority. Whoever has a key to anything, has authority to possess it and use it. You give somebody a key to your house, you give them the authority to go in your house. Well, Jesus has given us the spiritual authority 
to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior, and the only way into heaven. Bottom line, it means that we have the responsibility of telling people just how to get to heaven and what keeps them out. We don't say, here are my rules. We're saying, here's what God says. And if you come to him on his terms, you gain interest. If you don't, then you don't enter into heaven. And that's what Jesus talked about, about binding and loosening here. It'll be bound and loosed in heaven. So they're closely connected by the sentence structure. That we have the keys and whatever we bind or loose are bound and loosed in heaven. It simply boils down to this one concept. That we are to tell people what is acceptable to God, not only in terms of salvation, but also in terms of lifestyle. And Jesus gave that mission to the church. And built upon the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ, we will prevail as we follow obedient to the mission to which God has called us. We're to go attack the gates of Hades. And as we do that, to proclaim eternity, to provide a moral compass for life, to provide a loving, nurturing community of believers. And it's not so that we as the church would be an institution that would move in the world, but that we would be the church of God who will move the world. That's why we have to remember our calling And our mission is to be the church of Christ on mission today. And he has given to us the authority to batter down the gates of Hades. And it will not prevail against us. And his church will always remain. Some churches might go out of business because they forget about their mission and their partnership with Christ. And they forget about the fact that they're built upon the solid foundation. And they're not doing a thing about attacking the gates of hell. But they gather there like like an endangered species inside that fortress. And they just say, Jesus, we're holding on until you come. And guess what? Those are the churches that go out of business every day. Every day. See, Jesus has promised his church, not a church. That it will endure forever and it will not fail. But that promise is subject to our being obedient to him. Understanding that we are to be on the offensive attacking the gates of hell. And understanding that we have been given the keys to the kingdom to proclaim the kingdom of God. And what does that matter for us today? It means that we will prevail. The church will prevail. And that means that no matter what the circumstances are around us, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, who's in the Congress, who's got control of the Senate. It doesn't matter uh, who's fighting who and where, even as, as war rages over there again between Israel and the Gaza Strip. You know, it doesn't matter uh, what else goes on in our culture and in our society. If we, the people of God, are obedient to God, we build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And we take seriously the fact that Jesus calls us to be on mission with him, proclaiming the kingdom and attacking the fortress of Hades. We will be successful. We will be successful. And it's all possible because we are built on a rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ. I see one other thing to say, and that is... 
you, you might be here today and yet not a believer in Christ. And you go back to where Jesus started this whole conversation. He said, who do people say that I am? And they said, some of the prophets and this and that. And then Jesus asked the most penetrating question he could ask. He said, but who do you say I am? And I hope that Simon Peter was not alone in knowing that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you are not in that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you have to answer that most important question by saying you are the Christ the Son of the living God, and commit your life to Him. And we as a church have to do the same thing week by week, that we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, knowing that He is the Son of God. And if we do, we'll be successful in our life and as a church. Fathers, we bow before you today. We thank you for the foundation that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. And that you have built the church upon him. And he is the cornerstone rejected by man but accepted by you. And Father I pray that as a church, one of your churches here at Spring Valley. That we will be faithful and obedient to know that as we are built on that solid rock of Christ. Then we are called into mission with him. With the purpose of taking the keys of the kingdom and proclaiming the gospel. And I pray, Father, that we as a church at Spring Valley will be faithful in doing that. Into the mission field where you send us every day. Right out here in Northeast Columbia. And may we do it all to the glory of God. And Father, may there be one or two who would come today and respond with his or her life. By saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.